0: Hey again everybody, John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here with my good friend and partner Richard Perry. Today, um, as we alluded to at the end of last week's uh, podcast, we weren't sure if we were going to be live for 4th of July, but we are, and we have uh, Mark Caraba with us today. Um, Mark, uh, wow, a lot of different things going on with Mark, and so he's going to share some of that today. Mark, why don't you... uh, Kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to Michigan, how you came to fly fishing, etc.
1: Certainly, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, Well, I really never had a mentor fly fishing. Uh, The the story goes, the the much abbreviated version would be, uh, just told this story recently that in Marshall, there was a really awesome hardware store. Actually, I'm sorry, a sporting goods store. It was called Siemens Sporting Goods Store. And I used to go in there and bug this guy all the time. Like I just had, my dad never fly fished, but I always had an interest in it. And I would go in and ask him questions all the time after school. I think I was probably, probably sophomore year, maybe junior year. And finally he got tired. I know he'd see me coming. It's like, oh, geez. (laughs) Finally, one day he said, "Uh, do you ever go to the library? I said, yes. He said, go to the library and get a book by Ray Bergman called Trout. I did, and I read it, <clears throat> and I read it, and I was really interested in nymph fishing, which is something I'm really still interested in. I That's my primary, other than streamer fishing in the early spring and, and fall. Um, so I did that, but I really knew nothing. Like I, my wife and I, when our first son was born, we went to, took a trip, we actually went, went to San Diego and, and stayed for a month because we had friends there, and we stopped in the mountains, and you know, I mean, I was the guy you hear about that threaded the line through the through the keeper hook. <laughs> like I really had no idea what I was doing. <clears throat> that actually happened, by the way. Yeah, I'm not embarrassed to say that's it.
0: That's okay, it, and you're not the only one that's happened to it. So it's all good. I hope so. <laughs> and there's a
2: reason we make rods without those hooks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. But
1: I just was always attracted to it. I've always fished. My dad fished, and. Then, like a lot of things, there was a period raising a family. I have four kids, um, four awesome kids, and of course grandkids and the whole thing. But there was a point where, where like much of that wasn't occurring, like the the, the fly fishing. But and then things change, and then like you either meet, meet somebody else to uh, you you gain a new interest in it, and and. Um, So I started doing that and then I started coming up here. Probably a good friend of mine had a cabin on that Morris Trail right by where Hartman's Fly Shop was. (laughs) He still has a cabin there. And he always made that available to me and my kids. So we stayed there a lot. And I started fishing up here all the time. And I've always smallmouth fished because I live very close to the Kalamazoo River, like just a few hundred yards from it. And then when I got into guiding, just, you know, certain things happened, and I'd always had an interest, always took people fishing and showed them what I knew, and at some point, you know, I decided to take the test and get my license, and And so primarily I guide on the, on the Kalamazoo River for smallmouth. I, okay. I do trips up here. I've done trips for Judy before and John, um, but that's my main gig is smallmouth fishing, but I've always been a trout fisherman. I, yeah.
0: Well, there's there's nothing wrong with smallies. they would hell of a fight and a fun fish to Well, pursue. it's
1: gained a lot of popularity. Yeah, it has. Um, but we really enjoy. I really enjoy taking fly fishermen uh, smallmouth fishing because It's um,
2: a lot of fun. It's good on it. Feels good on a run. It does. It feel really good does. On a it's all about the tug and
0: well, and it's, it's a nice good sport. It's a nice <clears throat> alternative when the cold water fishers are you know for sure a little um, too warm or whatever yep you know like the song
2: says love the one you're with that's, a right. that's <laughs> it.
0: that's it that's it well so you you've guided you and you are you still guiding now yes you still running okay
1: yeah it's it's a part-time gig i well, mean no, it's, i it's it's a uh it's a part-time gig i mean there's been times when it, we we really without having a brick and mortar we have a really nice website that my son my youngest son river Middle name Alsalby, by the way. <clears throat> oh wow! Uh, he, he works for Google,
2: and he, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he must have been a scream when he got in the military. <laughs> first name, first last name. He, uh,
1: <laughs> we, we, uh, he's coming up here tonight. As a matter of fact, and he doesn't get a chance to get away. They've got a two and a half year old son and another one on the way in October. So I'm excited that he's. Which he's gonna get a little tonight. time on the water good then. Get, yeah, yeah, for sure. Excellent. We're we'll looking for some big bugs tonight. There you but, go. Basically, the whole family. My other two sons, my oldest son Jason, who's at the the cabin now, he fishes and 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 they they mostly bluegill fish with a fly rod. But
0: do, everybody's do they, busy. Do they go to Wakely?
1: <clears throat> I've never been there. I've never been there myself. To oh. Wakely. I go to Jones Lake.
0: Okay. Well, it's it's catch and release over there, but it yeah, is. Yep, but I, it is fun.
1: I've known that for years. Well, so is Jones Lake.
0: Oh yeah, we've heard a lot of fun I, about I, that I too. Really, <laughs> I,
1: I Big fan of Jones Lake. Like I have some really nice pictures of oh, Blue nice. bills from Jones Lake. Yeah. very nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so so aside from the guiding, you've uh, you've done some writing. I have. Um, you've done some videography. Yep. You. Um, maybe we, maybe we start there because I know you you've also done some conservation work. <clears throat> you're active. Yes. Uh, in a conservation, I believe you're the president. I um, formed
1: a club. It, The abbreviated story is the state of Michigan in their search for even pre-COVID, searching for more areas for people to recreate in Southern Michigan because there's so little public land. This property that I was very familiar with on Rice Creek, which it's in the trout trails, it's an established stream. It's been stocked forever. Um, I fished there forever. The guy who lived there, he always let people fish <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, my buddy who works for the uh, uh, conservation district, the Calhoun County Conservation District, he tipped me off that it looked like the state was going to purchase this land. We knew it was for sale. Uh, it's, I think, 50 acres and a ton of frontage on the creek. <clears throat> so I got involved in that, the initial meetings. Jay Wesley from the DNR, who's a, like a chief biologist, um, he facilitated the whole thing because it's a trout stream so it took a while some surveying and some back and forth but they ended up buying it at the same time that they bought it the conservation district is the on paper they are the the uh lease holder from the state of michigan
0: mm-hmm.
1: um that went on for about four years and the lady that was running the conservation district i won't say her name but she built the conservation district out of like five hundred and like forty thousand dollars she whoa
2: another part-time job
1: <clears throat> a, a decent retirement plan but I think the casino <laughs> on Battle Creek got got the Did they money get the, but, the
0: ball? so things
1: know. weren't they weren't able to manage <laughs> so I just kind of took the ball and ran with it and I'd been talking about starting up a group there okay. and and I've been a member of the Kalamazoo Valley chapter to you for a long time I, I don't do much I'm not involved anymore I never was really involved but I'd go to the banquets and occasionally meeting but um, that's how that came about and I formed uh, formed a club um, have a a, uh, fisheries biologist on board Um, Greg Potter do you guys know Greg Potter he was involved in the kids he was just here last week doing the kids camp he's always been involved with the kids camp the TU kids camp he lives in Marshall he's a friend of mine and uh, Got him involved and a, and a couple other people. We have like five board members. And a fisheries biologist who I became friends with who has the Kalamazoo River watershed. Um, his name is Matt Diana. I became buddies with him and fished with him. And he's been really helpful. And and because of the state of the DNR these days, which is a whole nother chapter.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> they, they,
1: At we best we don't go <clears> throat> throat> there. Yeah. We don't go there, but he's, uh, they seek partnership all the time, so I, I've always tried to be the guy to stay in touch with them. Like when I see things that, uh, going on, they're putting a bridge in on Rice Creek a couple of years ago, and and I'd go check it out, and they were doing some things wrong, like they were filling up their fuel tank like right next to the stream, oh, and so I'd call him and I'd say, Matt, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm bugging. He goes, absolutely, this is what I need is for people who who see things and who recognize uh, that some things well, don't better wrong. than
0: fuel ending up in the creek.
1: He's like, no, I really appreciate the the input because the the DNR doesn't have manpower anymore. Well, if so if you got a spill it'd be worth a lot <coughs> more today. Yeah. Well that's a whole nother story is about the, the oil spill. Like that's that's well, yeah, a whole they had other the they
2: was the one at the tractor supply or something. What was it? Store went out on Battle Creek. Don't, not one. familiar with that. That was, that was several, many years ago. Well, when I just it, know about
1: the Enbridge oil spill, which is always surprising to me that some people don't don't know of that. That was the largest inland oil spill that's ever occurred, like a million gallons of.
2: No, it, it wasn't a tractor <clears> supply <throat> store. It was some agricultural store, and they had a fire and a bunch of stuff leaked out, and it got into. There's been a few of those. It got into the river and made
1: a hell of a mess. There yeah. was one recently, I think actually somebody told me that there was a thing in Battle Creek where uh, some fuel got spilled, but um yeah, so that's one of the things I do on the on the guided trip is uh is point out to people that want to know. I'm also a birder, like that's a big part of my life is birding. Always has been. And when I take people on a trip, I like to I like to show them more than just fish if they're interested. Sure. You can tell fairly soon um, whether they care to know or not
0: well you can but, gauge a client's personality pretty quick yeah, when
1: you I've dealt with people because of the the concrete business I've been in construction you, I've, I've met lots of people and you get really good at right. uh, first it stems from are they going to pay me so you get to <laughs> learn personalities that's,
0: <coughs> a, that's always critical yeah but no you get Will pretty good check at cash yeah
1: exactly so you get pretty good at that and uh, <laughs> yes. So then at some point I got involved in a good friend of mine who actually was a ready-mix concrete truck driver. That's how I met him. And he was getting involved in videotaping back like, and that's been like almost 20 years now. And we would share information about that. And then he told me about somebody, this guy that I ended up working for. Uh, he told me that he was looking for somebody. And I called the guy. And at some point this, my friend uh, found a camera. We, there was a Canon camera that everybody used at that time. Um, and so we bought one, he and I went together and, and bought oh, this camera. And then I ended up buying it from him. Like he, he moved on and I, I stayed with it. But
0: yeah, it's a good way to get your foot in the door. <laughs> it was, it was really interesting.
1: I mean, I, I was, I had to learn, you know, you tell people like this caribou hunt for instance, like you, it was frustrating because <clears throat> there's a ton of responsibility. Like you're in a very, very remote place. As remote as you can be in North America, actually. Like as remote as anything and more so probably than most places in Alaska, other than the Yukon or something. I mean, it's very remote. back up just
0: a second, Mark, and tell tell our listeners uh, where you are on this hunt.
1: Um, we were in um, up by Ungava Bay. Actually, we we would go. You, all those hunts typically go Sorry, to. Sorry, that's not helping. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so it's in northern Quebec, along okay. like <laughs> north of James Bay. It's way up there. <laughs> it's way. It's I think it's a thousand miles from Montreal. Like we go to Montreal, and that's a jumping off point. There you go. That's where they weigh all your gear <laughs> to make sure you can get on a float plane, and then you take a commercial flight to Shefferville, which is a which is a mining community that's on the border of Quebec and Labrador and from there then you get on a float plane and you go to your appointed destination of where yeah, you're going to hunt from. Um, pretty exciting. Something I wanted to see my entire life to see the tundra and the caribou and <clears throat> of course I'd never seen caribou but it was absolutely but the point is the responsibility like not being able to fully enjoy where you were and what was taking place because at the end of the day um, They had a little tiny Honda generator. I had batteries to charge, there's tapes to label. This was back when we were using a mini DV digital uh, tape, no SD cards. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I still have the camera in fact. Um, it was just a ton of responsibility. Um, I pulled it off, We we, everybody killed, you can kill two caribou and I filmed the host and one of his sponsors. And then I got to hunt. Um, it was terribly exciting. Finally, there was some relief. We're out like, I'm just going to hunt now. And, and Danny, the host, was going to run the camera. So. Okay. But it was just a ton of responsibility. Sure. That when you watch outdoor shows or something, you're just like, oh, that must be a really cool gig. It's like, yeah. And, and I'm older, so what happened was as these things grew, then a bunch of young kids got involved in it. Like, they, yeah. they, it's all so young people. What
2: shows? <clears throat> the his
1: the name of his show was Outdoor Dreams, and it used to be a network, and it was called the Men's Channel. I don't know if you remember that, but it was before the Outdoor Channel. It's been a ways <clears> back. <throat> yes, before the Outdoor Channel, before the Sportsman's Channel, um, and it was the channel. It's what that's what there was. Was this
0: the? the yeah, but the, it, the, that the was channel. deep in, Deep in the channel
1: lineup.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of that much.
1: It, it got access. really popular very fast. Like the whole yeah. outdoor programming thing. It's. Oh yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people subscribe to it these days, uh, with YouTube and and all in the it, internet and everything. But it was yeah. it was. It was happening at the time. It oh, was sure. really. I got in when it was really starting to well, take you got off.
2: Pretty good viewership and a lot of a lot of folks watched it.
1: I I think actually and of course you know these because you're dealing with sponsorships. So when you, you when you approach a sponsor with your media package, <clears throat> excuse me, you they want to know about viewership. And there was like I don't know, like I think it was in 30 million homes for instance when it was going. Okay. Something like that. Uh, 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 I I think that's right. In the millions for sure. Hmm. Um so, did that, and then I think uh, that was in like August, and um, then I think we went, it was only a month after that when we did the Labrador thing.
2: So, that was almost as popular as our podcast.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: Well, you know, it fun. was gaining.
0: Yeah. The, uh, it, <laughs> well, so, it, Labrador, big fishies up there, brook trout. Find a few?
1: Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the abbreviated version of that is is that this guy who owned the camp was from Maine. He was a logger. He owned a ton of property in Maine. He had so what we were there to do was to do a commercial for him to to um, support and get his get this lodge it's called Osprey Lake Lodge. you can still look it up. If you look it up, you'll see actually my footage, like that's all, I I shed all the footage on that. Um, They paid him, and I know the amount, a big dollar to produce this whole thing. So when we got there, there was Danny and I, he had, um, there were 12 people there all together and it was all for this, he had there was a couple of guys from Boston there, like they're all buddies of his, but they all wanted to help out so we could get this footage. Okay. So if you know much about Labrador, you read about it uh, after this or at any time. You, it's all about Brook Trout up there. <clears throat> it's the biggest Brook Trout in the world. There's yeah. no, this is, that's not debatable. I mean, it's just it is. There's the Eagle River system. There's, and this was very close to that. This Osprey Lake Lodge. So, what happened was when we got there. We flew in on a big plane, and it was really hot. Okay like, I almost got sick on the plane because it was like they had a barrel of of airplane fuel, a 55-gallon barrel in the middle of the aisle. Nice. <laughs> and it was really hot out. It was terrible. Like I was going to lose it. Just about the time he banked, and uh, Dale, the guy that owned the lodge, pointed and said, "There, there she is." And then you could see he's banking, and there's there's the lodge cut out of the bush and Save me, because I, I don't think I could have gone another 10 minutes. It was awful. <laughs> we get off the plane. They show us to our cabin. It's literally just carved out of the bush, this place. And then uh, Lee, the guy who I was going to film with the host, and then after we caught a few fish with Danny and Lee, then I would be on camera. So the first thing he does is he goes down to the lake on the dock and checks the water temperature, and it's like 74 degrees. <clears throat> And this is in as far north as you can go almost. Good Lord. But they get these strange currents off the Labrador Sea. And it was, it was 98 degrees when we landed. I believe that's right. Because sure. he said it was 101 the day before.
0: I'd be very disappointed. You have no idea.
1: <laughs> world, world
2: class mosquitoes up there too. Huh? Yeah, oh, I was going to say the black size
1: flies, of Cessnas. And black flies. <laughs> so we start in and we fish that day. And nothing's happening. And nothing's happening. And nothing's happening. Um, the bottom line is in 13 days, there were two fish caught. One of the guys that was (laughs) there was this guy named Pat, who was a, he was a Maine game warden who was big into fly fishing. He used to go to Ireland and everything. He traveled and he was there and he caught, the host caught one on camera that I filmed like, I think the second day we were there caught like a four pounder. Okay. You can see it on the Hopefully video. Hopefully it was more than an 8-inch juvenile. <laughs> no, it was, a, like, it was a big fish. And then Pat caught one. He was trolling. It had canoes, like the classic. They're all like freighter canoes is what they had for boats, with small like four or six-horse Honda motors on them. It was okay. pretty cool. The whole thing was very traditional um, day after day. Mind you, the host, the dude I'm working for, He's starting to get, about after the fifth day, he's getting nervous because we can't get any footage. We got a lot of B-roll, mm-hmm. the scenery, uh, the boat ride, the canoes. So
2: it stayed uh, hot like that the whole time?
1: It, no, and it's bizarre because like three days later, it rained and it dropped down to like 46 degrees. Like just crazy fluctuations in the weather. Well, kind of like here. Kind of. And the fish were just off. Mm. It was terrible. Two fish were caught in 13 days. I fished in a place that I have for, I can't even tell you how long I've wanted to go to Labrador and have read about it. I got to fish for maybe one hour the whole 13 days I was there. Because the goal was for the host to fish, catch some fish, and then we'd switch over. And by now, the host, Danny, was getting very nervous. He was getting nervous to the point where he, he maybe was going to have to turn this check back in because it's questionable whether they're going to be able to produce. And um, it got awkward. People were – one of the interesting things to me was is the way they fished. And being a fisherman, uh, it, was, it was the biting a hole in your lip situation. Um, I would not have fished, there was no, none of them streamer fish. that wasn't, that was not, that was frowned upon. It was all dry flies. Um, these guys from Maine, you know, like big hatches out there like green drakes and different things. And I'm like, I just knew how I was gonna go about it. Like, but kind of sticking to the script. And the best part was in one of the places where we were fishing, one of the guides, these guys, guys were all from Newfoundland, <clears throat> Newfies.
0: Okay.
1: They had an interesting accent. Like, you, I was dealing with these guys from Maine who called me mock. And then I had these Newfies <laughs> <coughs> who... You
0: had who, a whole mishmash of dialogue the, going... It, it, yeah, it, who had
1: this <laughs> other whole dialect. Like, it was... I'd go, excuse me? he to repeat himself. But at one point, I, and you can see it on the... If you look it up on the on YouTube, whatever, but... I filmed Lee the rivers behind us where we've been fishing with Danny and Lee's telling the story that last year they were in this exact spot fishing the same water. Everything is connected up there like it's a it's a lake with a river in. they call it a river in there's not an outlet it's a river in and a river out. that's what they all call okay it. We're gonna go down to the river out. Where we're at at the river out, I'm interviewing. I got it on the tripod, I'm interviewing Lee and Danny, and Lee said that we caught 28 fish here in four hours, and I'm not positive. I think he said last year. The 28 fish in four hours, the smallest fish was seven pounds, and they had pictures. I mean, it's all real. Yeah. There's no. The biggest one was 11 pounds. I think they had like four. I think they had four 10-pounders. It's, it's just, it was unreal.
0: Large fishies.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> mm-hmm. The interesting thing is there's also pike in the same water. Really? They share this water with northern pike. How so does the that brook work? trout eat the pike. Uh, I'll tell you, it's the strangest thing. So I, you always wonder, like, all these big fish were small fish at one time.
0: Yeah.
1: And the only thing I could ever figure was that it was so productive, the... the uh, the hatch and rearing must have been so, there's so much water there, and there's current everywhere, that they, they were so...
0: Enough food for everybody to play. It was
1: so productive, but there were lots of pike in there, big hmm. pike, lots of pike, sharing the same water with these brook trout, but yeah, anyway, the, the whole thing was like you. he caught, they caught 28 fish in Two four hours, hours, and the smallest fish was seven pounds, and that's what we were dealing with. Um, as it turns out, this is 13 days of day after day like Groundhog day like the movie like, like day after day and finally when it was time to leave um, you were glad <laughs> at that point it was, it was so dejected you can't even imagine and um, he was really nervous about he didn't pay me it was the last thing I did for him in fact. He did not pay me that he was supposed to pay me because he still, when we left and landed, he still didn't know if he was going to have to return the check. But they found a way. They had some footage in a can that they had taken at the lodge before. He incorporated that. If you watch the whole video, the production video for the for advertising the, the uh, lodge, they have ways of doing things. They repeat things. Sure. If you watch an outdoor show, you'll see that There's 20, it's a 30 minute show, and there's 21 minutes of content. So you'll see, like, they'll end the segment with whatever. You and a boat. 30
0: second recap coming back in. And then there's a 30 (laughs) second recap. Another
1: little trick was I told my buddies this before when we'd be messing around filming is like, you'd take two shirts with you, like on some things you were doing, like two hats and two shirts. So you would change shirts, you would change your hat. We'll look like you're doing two different times. Yeah, two different times. Gotcha. I, I learned a bunch of tricks, but <laughs> it was really disappointing. It was very disappointing. Like it was, it was unbelievable. I couldn't even take it all in, like what had just happened. And then, then he also on the flight back said, "There's another caribou trip booked. First of September. It was going to be like three weeks from that date, I think." And my name was already on a ticket and the whole thing. And, and I didn't talk to him. Like there was, I, I, we didn't speak. And he called me like 10 days later. And it's like, are you getting ready to go? Are you get things around? I'm like, I'm not going. And he, it was just like, I'd had enough of it. And <laughs> But I turned down a, literally another free trip to
2: back to, to so care about. That was kind of the end of your filmography. It literally
1: thing. was the end. I did some bass fishing things, but he used to be a bass fisherman, like a, I think he was on the, uh, I think he actually was a tournament, he was a tournament oh, a bass, bass, bass fisherman for, for a while. while.
0: Yeah.
1: He really wasn't a fly fisherman. He pulled it off on film, but if you fly fish, you can tell that he. Hardware was, guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was a big steelheader, was the other yeah. thing, too. Okay. But um, it was a fantastic experience. I had my own footage. My son River actually put together a really nice of um, my caribou hunt. A really nice. I I made them give me back some of my footage, and I had to agree to not uh, uh, commercialize it in any way. Mm. But then my son River, who does a lot of editing, um, and marketing and stuff, he he put together a really nice video. So well, I. And your have
0: grandson's it. in marketing too, right? Well, he's hoping to be. Yeah. He just graduated so he just from Albion College. Yeah. Albion, right? Yeah, and yep. played in the D3 lacrosse championship. He
1: actually, <laughs> he'll be listening to this, and he'll this he'll like this. Like great. he actually from the MIAA conference, he's the only defensive player that's ever been selected to the All Star game. So he got to go out east a few weeks ago. To, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it was a very cool experience. That's a great deal. Yeah. actually, I think Memorial Weekend is when they went. Yeah.
0: My wife just retired from refereeing women's lacrosse. Oh, really? After Twenty years, yeah. Really? And my uh, well, she should meet Joey then sometime. Yeah, They'd yeah. Have something well, to they're, they're sure. cross, but yeah, the uh, cool on him, but the uh, so you've done some writing too. I've done some writing. I I, I have where done do you some show writing. Up?
1: Do you, Do you remember the Northwoods call? You betcha. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shepherd Glenn Glenn's Shepherd. one
0: of our unsung heroes of the Osawalo. Sure. A big um,
1: Oh, a long time ago, I wrote, I submitted something, and that was a long time ago, and he published it, just a small piece, and then, um, I don't know if you were aware that a guy, my sister actually contacted me, because I got that magazine forever, that paper,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she contacted me that some guy from Kalamazoo had actually bought it, um, mm-hmm. I can't think of his name right now. I started forgot. with a V. He was from Kalamazoo. It didn't last long enough. Yeah. No, because his wife got sick. And I wrote Aww. something like every, like, I had book reviews in there. Um, I wrote, I, I had quite a few, he published everything I ever submitted to him. And he was just starting to gain the subscription back. Um, interestingly enough, because Josh Greenberg knew Glenn from, obviously from the lodge. At one time I was saying something to Josh and he said, you know, when Glenn died, I was actually going to buy the paper. I'll never forget him telling me that. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I had, I had planned on actually
0: mm-hmm. Josh is a good writer. That. He's a very good writing. writer.
1: Yeah. I really enjoy his, his fishing report. So, He's a great writer.
0: Well, so the gentleman that, I guess, purchased the rights or whatever to carry on the publication, has he any plans of bringing no, this back? No, I
1: don't believe so. I, all I know is like I had submitted something to him. And... um, little one. He, he told me that hold off that there's going to be, we're having some personal issues. And then I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. And then we communicated on the phone, and he, he had told me, I figured it out, like, I, I believe his wife had cancer, I think is what happened.
2: I think it, when I ground to a halt, I think actually before COVID. Oh, it was well before COVID. It was 10 That's, years ago, yeah, probably.
0: At least a decade yeah. ago. yeah well, I was pretty excited about was it because I. I so fond of that a paper.
1: Long time, Shit. yeah.
0: <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yeah. When you're having,
1: the whole COVID thing like changed yeah. so much, but yeah. And then I hunted a lot. I used to. I hunted in Ontario for a long time. I hunted big whitetails up there um, in Northwest Ontario. I did that for a long time, quite a few years after 2000. Mm-hmm. And I shot a really big buck up there, and and I actually wrote a nice piece. It got published. There's a magazine called Big Buck Magazine. It's from oh, there you Saskatchewan. Go. <laughs> And and I had a nice thing published and uh Oh yeah. uh, the Michigan Trout magazine, a couple things I've had published in there and I thought uh, I'd some seen you smaller in stuff. Trout, but yeah, yeah. I Trout. Yeah,
0: so. Okay. One Dude. of them
1: was probably about birds. I think the first one I ever did was about birds and and actually Joe Barker would actually booked a trip with me last year and we were gonna we were gonna fish and though when we had this really hot spell and the river was really, really low and hot there in the Kalamazoo. and I called him and I'm like I just I it's just not the right time to go yeah. and he ended up going with somebody else but I met him in person for the first time at the uh uh at the show the, the fly show. Oh at uh, the, the red show? Yeah. 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 That's
0: where everybody sees everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's> a, so <laughs> like you, old, do you bird weight? hunt? Do you guide I that? sure do. do no, guide? I do not guide, you them, don't guide no. it? Okay.
1: No. I don't have a dog these days. I used to have a I had a couple setters. I had a I had a hemlock. Um actually the same breed that John that John's dog is, um, but yeah, I had oh. a really nice dog. Or was a Ryman? Yeah, well, it's kind of a, it's a it's a it's a hemlock Ryman, like um, big dog. Oh, my dog was a big dog. <laughs> nice dog, but he is a big dog. It's a, it's a big dog. animal. Yeah. Yeah, they're no very cushion. big frame dog. But no, I've I've always got they hunt well though. Oh, it was just it was amazing. Like That's it's. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Probably seen everybody's all the cover. <laughs> everybody's dog. Dog goes through the woods. And, you know, Sky view. It, it was no. It was he was Get a fantastic away. dog.
1: And I still hunt, and I've got a couple buddies that have dogs. I hunt with. I hunt with John sometimes still. I don't think I did last year, but several years we've hunted together. Um, but I've got another friend, a good friend of mine that that I that I hunt with. But uh, just, I just said not for a dog right now. Like for quite a few years, I'm just not. Um, I'm on the go.
0: Well, it just it's, isn't it's right hard for me. When you have a dog. If it's I
1: lived up here full time, which I'm not going to do, but if I lived up here full time, I would, I'd for sure have a
2: dog. Yeah. For sure, I would. And just, just to be clear, John is John Nagel. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to mention that or not. Well, that, yeah. uh, he was on here. On yeah, John, I just, John's been a guest here. on he's, the show. John's
0: so. a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah he's a good
2: guy. John's one of the good ones. We can talk about. Him. Yeah,
0: we, we we like John. We'll talk we'll talk him up. Yeah. You, and listeners, book a trip with him. He's a Good guy. <laughs> the, uh, He's a good dude. Yeah, yes. He so here we are in the summertime, we've had some roller coaster weather. Um you're up for a while. Um Well I'm up all the time. I've been here for like four weeks out of the last five.
1: See? So I'm, i go home and, and work. It's a almost bit,
0: full time. And mow the
1: lawn <laughs> and then I find a reason to come back. Uh, well Yeah, mailbox gets full after a while. Yeah, exactly. I go take I, yep. I empty grab the mailbox, pay
0: a few bills, and get back out. It.
1: Well, I grab a wastebasket and sit down and look at mail.
0: Mhm.
1: Basket ends up full, and I load things up and head north.
0: Mhm. It's a good. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. And
1: I don't know if it's good or not, but it's what I do.
0: <laughs> we we just got tired of the long drive, so we just moved up here full time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've done this drive a lot, especially recently. Like, and I yeah. I do all the time. I mean, I'm just. everybody's like? Why don't you sell your house and move? It's like I don't want. My whole thing is like, what I have going on at home, I don't want to drag that with me.
0: Yeah, well, you're pretty, you're you're pretty firmly established down there, right? you know. Yeah. Not only with the fishing, but you know, through. For your sure. Years of. Uh, I still get work. Process. I have work. Yeah. I'm committed to right now. Well, I was going to say, well, keep you, me. I'm you retired, were told but... me the other day that you just poured. Uh, yeah. A bunch of concrete. I still do that. Yeah. Yep, I do. Much to your grandson's chagrin. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're always
1: trying to talk me out about my daughter, but I'm like, this is what I've done my whole life, and, the, and I'm very fortunate, oh, that my knee issue, that I, I can still do it. Yeah. You know? Huh. Go and, fight them uh, I help my son's crew out a lot. He, he has a fairly large business, and I enjoy all the guys. They seem to like me around. So, yeah.
0: I, I imagine they like you a lot when you're signing those checks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> forced recruitment.
1: <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. I'm uh, just kidding. But I take on jobs. I mean, people still call me. Like they, they. I, I have more right now scheduled than I, I mean, literally than I it's, want. Like I just don't want any more. It's well, and, and I don't want to do it full time. That's the way
0: of the world right now. I don't. I don't think there's a mason out there that, you know. Well, you can get is, work is these days by work. just
1: answering the phone. I you know, I just I just picked up a patio job because they like, oh wow, you actually showed up and when you said you would, and you answered your phone. <laughs> it's it. <laughs> you brought concrete with you. It's pretty exactly. difficult these days. Like
2: everybody's busy. Yeah.
0: So so what's your what's your favorite hatch when when you're up here on the river? What
1: do, um, well, I mean everybody likes a hex hatch, but to be honest with you, I'm a streamer guy. Like I'm that's my gig. Like I. I, that's what I do. Okay. I obviously will dry fly fish. I mean, I, I, I do that. I'm certainly into the hex foot thing. I mean, I I, I enjoy that, um, and brown drakes. But I'm, I'm a streamer guy. I'm looking forward to this fall, like uh, doing some trips up here. As a matter of fact, in the fall, because I really, a lot of guys get busy hunting, and um, and don't make time to guide, but. Um, I really enjoy streamer fishing. That's what I do. I tie streamers, I mean because I'm a smallmouth guy, so they go I use the same flies for smallmouth that I do for brown trout or vice versa. Yeah. I I do. I'm
0: well, no real reason to switch out. Nope. <laughs> no.
1: Not, no, you no, know. no. And I feel like I have enough experience at both to to realize I don't tie presentation flies. I my my whole my whole gig with smallmouth is as the two goals are simple and effective, mm-hmm. and a lot of bunny strip things. I've mm-hmm. been threatening to do a video of some yarn and a couple feathers, and maybe a, something to weight it a little bit and videotape going and catching a smallmouth. There you go. Because it's they it don't. It let doesn't much have to, to be fancy. I mean, nope. It just. If it looks like food, it probably the, is the food old woolly
0: bugger.
2: <laughs> we heard that before,
1: yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I used to say that you know, like a brown trout, like you might miss him or you bang him or sting him, and he's like, Whoa, that was not food. And a small mouse, like, like Give me another shot at that thing, yeah. whatever it was. Now,
0: now, it, now I'm PO'd, yeah, I want to come back and grab it. Give me, yeah. an, give me
1: another shot at that, yeah. But sometimes brown trout will do that too, like occasionally, yeah, occasionally, yep, sometimes more smallmouth don't get put off as easy they but you put somebody on a smallmouth like a 15 inch fish a trout fisherman and they're they're pretty happy
0: they're going to smile ear to ear real quick yeah they're going to yeah. feel something under, so their, under their
1: rod and it's and gaining in popularity yeah. all the time yeah. like it's, it's well, very popular and,
0: you know it's we're we're working on some guests for future episodes just to <clears throat> start the discussion about you know the new face of fly fishing if you will what what's cl- what the climates you know got in store for us you know what we're living with now with lower water levels and higher water temps you
2: got to get a stiffer rod for turtle fishing yeah exactly
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's there's there's no mistaking in it things you know last summer my son-in-law and i went out and drove across the country to uh do some fly fishing and uh Started in our backyard with tricos and ended up uh, fishing for rainbows on the Truckee uh, where he lives. And, uh, but going through the traditional Wyoming, Montana experience, was just between the fires and the heat. Yeah. The, the opportunities were significantly limited. Yeah. Most of Montana was under a, you know, two o'clock hoot owl, you know, off the water at two, which worked well. You know, still allowed people out early in the morning, and you know they could get their thing on. But it's uh, it's definitely different.
1: Yeah, well, there's no question that there is. I I don't. I definitely don't want to touch the political side to the whole thing
0: about no, climate no, no, change. No, no, I mean, it the just, only thing
1: I always remind people is is that there was ice here ten thousand years ago. It's always been getting warmer. It's been getting warmer for ten thousand years. Uh, it'll get cold again. Yeah, it'll get cold again. <laughs> and that's—I would never go against the whole. I just keep politics out of it. Like I, yeah. it's it, there's no question things are changing. There's no question about that at all. Yeah. It's evident. Uh, where we hunted in Montana this this in November. I was gonna say the hunting landscapes they, changing The too. ranchers where we we hunted in northern Montana, uh, like 45 miles, middle of the state, 45 miles south of the border, ranch land and. Uh, the drought is a big concern to all of them. They're all cattle ranchers. Sure. <clears throat> and they're having to buy hay. That's their
0: food. It's
1: drying and up right in front of them. They're pretty much freaking out about. Uh, some of them have irrigation, um, but it's pretty much free-range cattle. Not necessarily free-range. Most of them are fenced, but there's large fenced areas. But
0: large um, rooms.
1: <clears throat> yes. But it's it's a topic, you know, when you sit around the the lodge after, you know, dinner or whatever and telling stories and that was something I, I talked a lot to them about. The actual the cook was they owned like an eight thousand acre ranch down the road. Huh. I think that's how big it was. And um she said a lot of people they knew were like selling their calves, their feeders and stuff because they anticipating the the high cost of feeding well, them, and the grass was them not. Um, than, yeah, the easier to sell them to feed them. Yep. The it, grass was is just sad. not regenerating, you know, yeah. because of the the drought. But
0: well, it's going to. It's different,
1: for sure. It's different. There's no question levels, about that.
0: Yeah.
2: Could use a couple days rain around here right <throat> now. Yeah. i you know? Yeah. Well, it rained pretty hard the
1: other night, but only we, for like 15 minutes. You we know, got a, the we got
0: blew. a little bit overnight, but you know they said we got a half inch, but. Really I didn't see it in the river
1: <laughs> I, I don't huh. yeah. I didn't have a rain gauge out but it's like i I would be surprised if the yard didn't look like it <laughs> I would be surprised about a half an inch yeah for sure
0: yeah we'll knock wood and hope for more but um, what's next what's what's next on your wildlife agenda
1: well <clears throat> one of the things I'm concerned with personally is is uh, invasive species and i I say this because the property I spoke of earlier, which is, uh, it's called the Holt Rice Creek property. That is the person who, <coughs> excuse me, who actually sold the property to the state of Michigan. So okay. it's named after him. All right. And that place, I've known it for forty some. I've known it for forty some years. And the big problem, one of the huge problems downstate, is honeysuckle. Like okay. this particular property, it is. The the main main stem count on that property would be honeysuckle, wow. like it is literally taking over. Um, and the interesting thing is, like I see it in places up here because I'm so familiar with it that I I point it out and I see it and it's like you, you need to pull it. You can't cut it. You don't spray it. You have to pull it out of the ground. You the only hope you have. And it propagates so readily. I mean, it's just a, it's a monster. It's really. The other one is, is Virginia Creeper, which I'm seeing that around here now, and that bothers me because downstate, it's in my yard, there's a place I used to hunt for years and years, I know that guy leased it now, and there's a beautiful tamarack stand on this small lake, mm-hmm. and I have to drive by it like every day several times, and the Virginia Creeper is, this vine plant is it's got all these tamarack trees choked off, so they're they're like just a just encased, just a pull, just encased. Oh, that's. that's <clears throat> and I, I was at my buddy's house on the mainstream by, Conner's Flats like last week, and and I walked down the path and I said, dude. You better start pulling all that stuff out because I said there it is right there. Down there we have, uh, like Japanese knotweed. Um, the invasive species thing is really, to me, is as much of a threat as the as any any warming of the climate because, and maybe they go hand in hand. Maybe that's one of the reasons that they're all
0: propagating.
1: They're all moving north, like it's all.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, it's easy Did, to see. Are how you it guys happens.
0: seeing the <clears throat> proliferation of pear trees? Um, down in your part, I mean, they've taken over central Indiana. Really? It's no, I don't think so. It's seen. They yeah. they have fruit. No, they're just choking it. They're just. They're, they're just kind of a thorny th-
1: out. Uh, uh, tree. Uh, really that's interesting. Uh. But Julie and I went down to uh, we were in Kentucky uh, recently, and <clears throat> we stopped at like some a wildlife management area. We took secondary roads like all the way back. And mm-hmm. We were in no hurry, but we got out, and I'm like, "There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of, of uh, cedar that grows there, red cedar, and um, there's just honeysuckle everywhere. Ugh. It's like a jungle, like you can't walk through. It. It's a it's it's decent cover for for deer and some wildlife, but it's it's kind of like automato, who the state of Michigan promoted forever.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> we're seeing remnants of that along the banks of the North Branch. You know where. These are trees that are life-cycling out, you know, that they have a, you know, definitive top end. They're not like a lot of the hardwoods. They, yep. you know, they're definitely going to life-cycle out. And now, you know, they're failing and falling and just making a general mess of things.
1: I think that's one of the things that concerns me as people <clears throat> in the business of uh, fly fishing and, and uh, belong to TU to or the Rough Grouse Society, which, by the way, if I have to put my money, my limited resources, into something, it's typically these days the Rough grouse Society because mm-hmm. they understand forestry and management, yeah. and they keep politics out. I've actually had personal conversations with Ben Jones, before the uh, CEO and president. He's just the coolest guy. There, we,
0: there's some really neat people. We talk in about
1: that. it, and it's like it's people in Michigan should really appreciate it. Like we were just, ta- I thing, were just talking about a couple of guys I mean, before you got
2: here. an RGS and a Pheasant Forever <clears throat> guy to yeah. do one of these. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And, I, and I just really, they understand forestry and a lot of people think, the same with trout. I've said for years that, that Trout Unlimited, of, as, of course it's a wonderful organization, but a lot of people don't care about mm-hmm. trout, but everybody cares about clean water. And I've always said, I've talked to certain high-end people in Tu about it. it's like new ad campaign, and it's all about just clean water, even warm water, but clean water, and everyone can relate to that. Whether they get involved or contribute is another issue, but everybody cares at some level about water.
2: And well, to use cold water conservation, so yeah, I right. Mean, if you're for if you're for trout, you're for clean cold water, right.
0: You know, but it, I think
1: you'd get more people on board if it wasn't the trout, the trout are the canary in the mine. The trout, when the water's cold and the conditions are right, trout will be there, and I'm all for that 100%, but okay. I just, you're always these days trying to get more people on board with a good cause, and especially when it pertains to conservation, and I just think that that you can you can broaden your appeal by... Introducing a different, uh, a different angle, as it were, to just to introduce people to the it's whole a concept. More
0: mainstream demographic. More right? mainstream. Yeah.
1: It's all about the demographic. Like yeah. I, it can't be all on the responsibility on the shoulders of fly fishermen or people that trout fish in well, general. Like it's, it's like it's we were told the that.
0: kids that were came to visit us at the museum from the TU youth camp that you know, candidly, they're our future. They're they're the ones that are going to be. Looking after the fish and the fisheries, and you know, for sure, more than just showing up at the river and buying a license and exactly they're going to be the ones that carry the torch forward. So, the good news is they were all engaged, man. They were, (laughs) were. they're a great group of kids, and it was just awesome. But the, uh, but we need more of them. One of the things
1: I kind of told them, like, maybe I might get involved next year, but and help them out. But one of the things that would be my spiel to them is like, I would. It's about conservation and water and and the whole thing, the woods and the water, the whole thing is like that fishing is awesome and that's what introduces people to conservation in in many walks of life. Like it's, it's the fishing thing, but so many people just fish, they don't throw trash, they don't do negative things or impact the environment in a negative way, but sometimes I question what are you doing in a positive sense like what are you doing more than just fishing or paying your money? Well,
0: I think as you and I were you know, talking the other day, you know Something as benign as buying a, a license for for a, for for a neighbor or for a neighborhood kid or something You know because as we said, you know you buy a license for a kid that adults gonna probably buy one too And you know hopefully I'll right. end up with two anglers on the water or more
1: right? Well, I actually look at it in a way beyond the actual fishing aspect of it because I understand what's going on with the DNR and a lot of agencies like the DNR, and I know, and I won't get into why it is this way, but funding is it, an it issue. It
0: is what it is, yeah. It is what it is,
1: and beyond the fishing, I'm the guy that says, I really don't care whether you fish or not. What matters to me is, is that you buy a license. Are
0: you, are you funding these guys? And Yeah.
1: Buy a license. Like It's like you, meet, you know you meet people that go, oh, I used to love to do that. And maybe you're too old, it doesn't appeal to you anymore, but it's like, I think a lot of people, it's just pure like ignorance in the, in the true sense of the word, not in a derogatory way, is that it's they don't diavete. realize, like they just don't know. They don't recognize that like, a really cool thing to do with hunting and fishing is to buy a license, whether you do it or not. It's a small fee, and it's a great gift, and it might inspire somebody to want to do that, but what's important To sustain management and stewardship, it takes money, and the way one of the reasons that the DNR is struggling is because of funding. And you misrepresent the numbers.
0: You know, the hunting populations are down. The fishing populations are down. So it's it's a great way to take action.
1: Just just a license, whether you fish or not. It's a cheap way. I wrote a piece about that. In fact, and it's like if you want to feel good about yourself and feel like you're contributing, just buy a fishing license or hunting license. Buy them both. If you're you're set at whatever level financially where it won't pinch you to buy a license, by all means, I encourage people to buy a license and just misrepresent the numbers even. It's about the money, Hmm. really. If you fish, that's even better. Or if you bring a kid into it, of course that's where it's at. But even if you don't fish, buy the license because
0: it's about funding. Cool. Yeah, I like it. I like no the invasive species. is A big deal. I mean Huge deal. Look at huge. Look at what's going on over on the uh, Manistee, with the right. right. You know, and again, I, I'm anxious to learn more about that. I keep hearing that. It's been present, but that the water chemistry has changed to a point that's allowed it to bloom again, hmm. and. Hmm.
1: Kind of, kind of hard to write, wrap my brain around that. My yeah, brain's it, not very big, it, though. It's, so it so seems uh, <laughs> counterintuitive, but
0: um, <clears throat> I'm hearing it from people that are load smarter than me. So well, I
1: heard it's in Arkansas. I just somebody I think today in the fly shop might have said something about that. They saw the flyer on the table and they mm. may have mentioned that that it was well, they've it's been around. To the White River mean, yeah, it's not unique to us. He said it's been down there for a long
0: time. But that, the New Zealand mud snails, um, it's really good uh, for our listening. Public that are here in Michigan, uh, Michigan TU's put out a really very useful and informative booklet on New Zealand mud snails and on Didymo and you know we talk and, and so I'll, I'll defer for a second. Sure, certainly. <laughs> but just just to reiterate the point, cleaning your equipment, cleaning your boats, any any time you're moving between water systems you've got got to be tirelessly dil- diligent about it it's just you know no no other way about it so enough enough you've well, by the way that's how me. that's how
1: invasive species that's it's the exact same thing with yeah. invasive plants exactly it's the exact same Well, thing. purple
0: loose stripes are big <clears throat> target up here at right. the moment that's what's well, everybody it's a target yeah. not but at some point and every nursery's got right, it. Right. To stay on that
1: subject for a second it's like I, I talked to a guy my son owns some land that has some some wetland on it and, and for waterfowling and, and I said something about putting some wild rice there. Some approved um specific type that the state encourages to mm-hmm. use. And this guy told me he said, I've got a bag of Japanese millet if you like and I said, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about <laughs> we'll come to find out that's what Delta waterfowl like that's one of the things that they they promote hmm. is this millet i'm like well it's i'm it's i'm if they promote i'm sure it's okay then i mean i'm sure hmm. it's the but yeah that's how things move they, they on your tires um everything i mean you just to go to california years ago i lived there for a, while, a long long time ago in southern california uh-huh.
2: but i'll stay here
1: <laughs> they you couldn't get a car they wanted to know if you had plants in your car Oh That's yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. I mean you.
0: They still do. There's, I'm sure. Uh, there's, my kids, uh, the younger ones live in Truckee, and which is very close to the Nevada border. So, yep. when you're coming from Nevada into California, there's an ag stop. Yep. And it's aggressive. Yep. For that very reason. They want to know. It's a little over bureaucratized, but right. <laughs> the, the net result is, is positive, <clears throat> but the, you know the bureaucracy is a little painful. But yeah. So it goes. Well, Mark, thank you. Well, thank you. I really very enjoyed it. very much enjoyed chatting yeah, with you and learning thank you more about you. very much. I appreciate you. that. And thanks for sharing your time with us and, your, and our listeners.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it. I look forward Excellent. to it, and I'm, I'm happy.
0: Excellent.
2: Yeah, we'll around. Yeah, we'll for sure see you. Yeah, we'll, yeah you guys we'll
0: for sure. It's not like we're going anywhere. No. <laughs> so Literally, good stuff. Literally, figuratively, Yeah, you exactly. Want you better exactly. go figuratively on that. Like. All right, well, yeah. listeners, uh, as we're prone to say, uh, thanks for listening, and... Uh, Tune in next week. In the meantime, mind your back cast.